Welcome to the Unfeigned Faith Bible Study, where we'll be doing a weekly Bible study, typically going through a book of the Bible together, and uh, this will go alongside our regular Unfeigned Faith podcast. Thank you for joining us on this journey. What I'd like to do is, uh, you know, we went through Colossians and, and uh, really kind of Colossians, Philippians, and Ephesians, all those kind of go together uh, as we talk about the church being the body of Christ. And, um, and Colossians is kind of how the church relates to the head, where Christ has the preeminence, he is the head. And uh, Ephesians is about the head's relation to the body and what, what Christ has made us and, and, uh, and so forth. Philippians is a, is a very practical book on how we relate to one another. And uh, hoping that'll be a blessing as it talks a lot about unity, uh, rejoicing. And uh, so as we get into this, uh, we'll go ahead and uh, just jump right in. Um, Philippians uh, was written from, um, uh, Paul was in prison, and uh, he was really under house arrest. And, uh, and he's writing to this church with great concern, uh, challenging them to, uh, to have joy and to, to, to not, not quit the race. And it was just a, a book of encouragement. And really, the story of Philippians starts in Acts 16. And that's where the, uh, the founding of, uh, of, of the church began. Paul, uh, you know, he was wanting to go to Asia, and God didn't let him, you know, said, no, don't go there. And, and uh, so then he had a dream, a vision, if you would, uh, uh, people from Macedonia saying, come over and help us. And so he, he heads on over, and and as he gets there, he, he finds a woman named Lydia, and uh, she was a worshiper of God, and uh, she, she was desiring to, to have this relationship with God. And... Um, um, <clears throat> And, uh, and uh, so he goes and he uh, shares the gospel with her and those that were with her, and, and uh, they get saved. He baptizes them, and, and, uh, and then later on he uh, runs into a demon-possessed girl, casts out the devil, and she gets saved, and, and uh, then he eventually gets thrown into jail, and that's where we have the story of the Philippian jailer. And, uh, and, and, and the angel shows up, shakes off their chains, and, and they, um, uh, they get set free, but, uh, but they all stay. You know, this is where Paul and Silas, you know, they they were singing praises and thanking God, and all the prisoners stayed, and and uh, the jailer was ready to kill himself when he saw that the everything was open, and and he said, "Do thyself no harm." And he says those famous words, "Sirs, you know, what must I do to be saved?" He said, "Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house." And they went home, uh, went with the jailer, and he washed up his wounds. And uh, preached the gospel there to the whole family. They responded, and he baptized them all there. And uh, that is the start of the church at Philippi. And uh, so this church, years have gone by, and uh, they've grown spiritually. And uh, great a relationship that Paul has with the church here. And they're a church that really showed love toward him. And so in Philippians 1, we'll go ahead and jump right in. It says, Paul and Timotheus, this is uh, Timothy, the, the, the book's first that Timothy was written to. It said, so, so they were together as they write this, uh, servants of Jesus Christ to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons. And, and I love how Paul uh, starts off many of his letters uh, talking, calling himself a servant, a servant of Jesus Christ. And, um, and, and the word there really means a bond slave. And, and kind of goes back to the Old Testament where... Um, where it talks about if you have a servant, you have a slave, you know, he works seven years, then he can be released. But if he chooses to stay with the master, uh, he'll become his, uh, his, his bond servant. 
and uh, and it's this lifelong commitment. And they'll go down to the priest, and they'll basically uh, uh, bore out his ear, and and um, and it's a mark that he belongs to that master because he's a good master, loves the master, and so forth. And and that's kind of the word picture that Paul uses when he says, "I'm a servant. I'm sold out. This is a lifelong commitment, a lifelong journey as I follow." Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so so that's kind of what he's saying there as he says, that's who I am writing to you guys. And uh, how different, by the way, this concept from even today's uh, spiritual leadership. You know, we're so caught up on titles and positions and things. And, and Paul says, I'm writing to you guys, uh, not, you know, I'm writing to you as a servant of Jesus Christ. You know, very easy to say, I'm the apostle. You know, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm the apostle for this, uh, for this dispensation or this era. And, you know, he, you have to listen to what I have to say. No, he just says a servant and I'm writing to you. And it says, and here's who we're writing to the bishop, the saints, the bishops and deacons. Uh, those are the two offices in the new Testament. There are all kinds of church movements and groups. They have all these lists of things, but, but really the Bible only lays out two offices and it's bishops and deacons. Bishops, we might talk about, uh, uh, we might call them elders, we might call them pastors, uh, but basically bishops, elders, and pastors are the same position, and then you have the deacons. Those are the two roles, you know, and, uh, and so, uh, so as it goes into this, I just want to kind of touch on who, who, who are these people, and First Timothy 3 lays out uh, who we ought to select as a bishops. It says, uh, this is a true saying, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless. Uh, by the way, that doesn't mean perfect. Uh, the word there, blameless, it means uh, without handles. In other words, his testimony should be such that people can't grab a hold of and, and pull him down. Okay, um, uh, he, he's, he's represented himself well and the cause of Christ well. And, and so he's blameless. The husband of one wife. I won't belabor that, but I don't believe it means one wife at a time. Uh, I believe he's a one-woman man. And uh, vigilant, he's, he's uh, on guard, he sees things. Uh, vigilant, uh, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, nor, not greedy of filthy lucre or money, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, uh, one that ruleth his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man knoweth not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into condemnation of the devil. Moreover, if he must have, he must have a good report of them that are uh, which are without. That's those that are outside the church, the lost people, the community. Lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. And so that's kind of a layout. This is this is the 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 things that are mentioned of the character of uh, the pastor or the bishop of these churches. And then he mentions the next category, the deacons. And, and, uh, and likewise, in, um, in 1 Timothy 3, it lays out uh, what, we need, what we look for with that. And it says, Likewise, uh, must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued. You know, they don't say one thing with this group and another thing with another group. Or, or, you know, and, and that's very important to understand with the, with the deacon, because his job is to assist the pastor. His job is to, uh, to help meet the physical needs of the church, to free up the pastor to focus on the spiritual needs of the church. And, and um, so, so this is uh, important to, to not be double-tongued, but, but to kind of be, be, 
be single uh, with his mind and with his speech. And, and it says, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of faith in a pure conscience. Uh, he he carries the gospel. Uh, deacons ought to be soul winners. They ought to be uh, be able to present the mystery of faith, the gospel, uh, well with a pure conscience. Let these also first be proved. You know, just because you have a really nice guy, uh, uh, has he been proved? Is he a spiritual person? Is he uh, faithful with tasks he's been given and so forth? Uh, then let let them use the office of a deacon, being found blameless. Even so must their wives be grave. Now, this is interesting. In the, for the deacon, part of his qualification is his wife. Their wives must be grave, not slanderous. Uh, make sure they're not gossiping, uh, slandering others, and so forth. Sober, faithful in all things, let the deacons be the husband of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well, for they that have used the office of the deacon will purchase, uh, well purchase to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. And uh, so we have a great description here of both those positions. And he says, this is the, you know, we're writing to the church, the saints, those that have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, uh, uh, declared to be uh, sanctified in Christ Jesus, uh, uh, as it says in another place, uh, these are the saints. And then the leadership of the church, if you would, this is the structure. You've got the saints, you've got the bishops, and you've got uh, the deacons. Verse 2, he says this, grace be unto you. And, and by the way, I don't think Paul's just using filler words. It's nice to say, oh, grace, grace unto the church. Um, uh, but this is something he's really wishing on them. Grace be unto you in peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, there's no other place that peace can be found and grace can be found than in, uh, in God the Father and uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, uh, so as we talk about it, there are a couple of things we need grace for. And uh, it's very important to understand, we, we shouldn't just use these words, we, we should know what they mean and what they're referring to. First of all, we need grace for salvation. For by grace are you saved, uh, Ephesians uh, 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so we need it for salvation, but you know what, we need it uh, as God uh, develops us and makes us more like the Lord Jesus Christ. We need it um, uh, for for direction. Uh, a great definition of the of the grace of God working in a believer's life, I believe, is found in uh, Philippians. We'll, we'll look at uh, in a few days. Uh, but Philippians two verse thirteen: For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. That's that's a result of God working in your lives, both to will to have the desire. And uh, to do, have the ability uh, to please God, to do what God has called us to do. And then we need the grace of God for holiness. As he develops us and makes us more like the Lord Jesus Christ, it says, For the grace of God, which bringeth salvation, we already talked about that, hath appeared unto all men, teaching us. So we've received salvation, we've been saved by grace, but now that grace is going deeper and it's going to teach us some things. That denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. So the grace of God begins working and developing these things, helping us to say no, denying some things. Worldly lusts, ungodliness, living soberly, righteously. Soberness is the idea of having a clear mind, a clear head. Uh, By the way, you have to stay away from things that are going to cloud your mind if you're going to be sober and be on guard. Righteously godly in this present world 
hey, one day we'll be like him, praise the Lord. But, uh, but he says, I want you to start living like it now. I want you to represent Christ well now and grow in these things now. Another area we need grace for is giving. Second uh, Corinthians 8 talks about the, the churches of Macedonia, Philippians being one of them. And, uh, and uh, it says the grace of God was bestowed on them and allowed them to give tremendously, though they were in great poverty. Uh, that's the grace of God. And as he, as he kind of lays that out and describes it, how they gave themselves first, they gave in their own power, then beyond that. Uh, it, it, I love what it says. It says, um, it says, as you've abounded in love, in faith, in utterance, your ability to communicate the word of God in wisdom and knowledge, your understanding of the word of God, as you've abounded in all of these, he said this, see that you abound in this grace also, the grace of giving. And it's God uh, doing really the miraculous through us as we are faithful uh, in, in, in giving to the work of the Lord. And it's amazing. We can step back like the psalmist and say, wow, this is the Lord's doing and it's marvelous in our eyes. And yes, he does it. But you know what he does? He uses people. And he uses our resources. He uses us, but then he resupplies. He's the God of supply, and he's the God of resupply. And he gives us what's needed uh, to, to go forward. That's the grace of God in our lives. And so we see uh, we need the grace of God to be saved. We need the grace of God to live for him. We need the grace of God to give. And, uh, and I'm sure that, you know, there are a lot of other areas we can look at, but those are just some verses that come to mind. And then he says this, in peace. From our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, uh, the grace of God brings the peace of God. Uh, Romans 5, uh, starting in verse 1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and uh, what a wonderful position that we have. You and I, when we get saved by grace through faith, we stand right before a holy God. He has saved us, he has pardoned us, and he's made that relationship uh, uh, right with God. You know, people always say, you know, are, are you right with God? Hey, if you're saved, you're right with God. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And, uh, you know, sometimes some things maybe may get off and we got to get some things in, more in line. Or uh, as we looked at grace, pu- uh, putting off, saying no to some of those things. But the reality is the moment of salvation, you are declared righteous, right standing with God. What a wonderful truth that is. So, uh so he kind of reminds them of things in his greeting in verse number three. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. You know, Paul has a tr- does a tremendous job of really expressing the kind of love believers ought to have for one another. Remember in Jesus' earthly ministry, he even said to his disciples, here is how all men will know that you are my disciples. If you have love one for another. And let me just say, love is something that's expressed. Uh, the Bible talks about, you know, a secret love. Secret love doesn't accomplish anything. Uh, love needs to be shown. Love needs to be expressed. And so, so he says, here's one indicator that the world is going to have when they see how believers love each other. You know, uh, as, uh, as we were together last night with some of the parents and the, our teenagers, I was, uh, was kind of joking. And I said, you know, because... Uh, uh, you have to you have to be six feet apart from people that are not household members, and uh, and I said, you know what? We're all of the same household of faith. <laughs> and I said, uh, I said we should, you know, in the New Testament they had all things common, and uh, you know, uh, even in, in church many times uh, sicknesses, what happens? They go around, they hit everybody, and, and I was like, let's just have all things common. But uh, um, but the reality is, we are a family. We are of the household of faith. 
And, uh, and, and, and again, I love, I love Paul's uh, expression of that because it's a challenge to me. Do I love the brethren the way, the way Paul lays it out? When I think of the church, when I think of each other, and, and I am so thankful for our church. We, I, just, I believe we have just such a wonderful thing going on here, uh, uh, this, the, the church that God has built and developed uh, in North Pole. Um, when I think of the church and the people, here's a question I ask. Does that bring gratitude? Do I thank God upon every remembrance? And uh, uh, what, a, what, a, what a thought that, uh, uh, that Paul has as he, as he shares this and says, uh, of this church, he says, every time you come to mind, every time I think of you, I can't help but thank God. Oh God, thanks for raising up this church. And then, of course, I think of the individuals, and I, oh Lord, and this family, and and uh, and and this, how they how they care for one another and love, and how how this family has grown in Christ, and we kind of look at all these things, and and uh, what a challenge for us. Do, do do those thoughts come into our mind when we think of our church? You know, the Bible says if uh, you know you bring your gift to the altar and find out that a brother has ought against you, he says, hey, leave, stop everything, leave that there, and go make that right. Because you know one thing that God hates is when there's disunity, when there's division. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. When there is division, when there are uh, things going on that, 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 that are keep taken away from that unity, uh, that's not pleasant. That's not something that is reflective of, of Christ's church and his body. As Paul said in uh, 1 Corinthians, is, the body, is Christ's body divided? Uh, what a what a interesting question is it divided, and uh, but boy to think about when there's blessings when 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 uh, to, to to think about the unity and the love uh, one for another and Paul says I just thank God upon every remembrance every time I think of you I'm just thrilled and I thank God for what He's done in our midst and uh, and I hope that's your mind you know when you when you when you bow the knee and and, and spend some time in prayer and say God. You know, I want to pray for our church. And as you go through the names and just rejoice with that. By the way, I do want to say this. You know, the Bible says uh, uh, of, to the church about their response, uh, their response to their pastor in, in Hebrews. It says, obey them that have the rule over you. It says this, for they uh, who teach you the word, for they watch for your soul, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. I want to say this, when I come before God and, and there are things that are keeping me from rejoicing as I go through the names, we go through our church, let me say there are, there are some that I say, oh God, you know, look at how they're growing and they're just such an encouragement to my heart. Lord, please bless them in this area and, and, uh, and give them grace for this thing. And, and, and I'm praying and there's joy and there's remembrance. Let me just say there's blessings in that. But on the flip side, when I'm pouring out my heart, oh Lord, this family, this person, this individual, they're just not getting it. They're causing strife and division. And, uh, and Lord, would you just help them and correct them? You know, uh, the Bible says when, when, I, when there's grief coming from the pastor about these things, he said that's not profitable for you because God has to correct it. God wants unity in his church. And, um, but, boy, as we, as we as a church, as we consider one another, we think about this, we, we ought to be rejoicing. I rejoice with every remembrance of you. Verse 4, always in prayer, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, always in every prayer of mine for you, uh, all making requests with joy. As, I, as I'm praying for the needs and things, I'm doing it with joy. And, and again, keep it in mind, where's Paul right now? He's in prison. 
You think, Paul, what are your needs? What is it you're going through? How can I pray for you? And he's saying, he's saying you know what? Being in prison is giving me some extra time <laughs> to sit down, to, to write some scripture, and to pray for you guys. He says, and I've been praying with joy. Every time I make my requests, I just, my heart is just thrilled. Uh, my love for this church and what God is doing and what God has done. And then he says this, for, for your fellowship in the gospel. This is what he's so excited about. For your fellowship in the gospel from the, from the first day until now. He said, from when this church started all the way up until now. You know what that tells me? A church plant and a mature church uh, should have the same uh, goal. <laughs> should have the same desire and, uh, and things. There are going to be some things differently, but he says, from the first day, when you were a brand new church plant, all the way till now as a mature church, he said, here's what happens. You've had a fellowship in the gospel, a common, a commonality where you want to get the word of God out. Yes, we're growing in grace and we're learning and we're developing together. But what do we do as we challenge each other to walk with Christ? What are we doing? We want together have a fellowship in the gospel. What's the gospel? The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. What do we do with the gospel? We share it. If our gospel be hid, it's hid to them that are lost, whom the God of this world has blinded their minds, lest they should believe uh, uh, the, the light of the glorious gospel. Uh, sh- excuse me, should shine on them. Uh, I kind of got that jumbled. But, but if it's hid, it's hid to them that are lost. Those that are saved, if, if it's hid from them, it doesn't matter because they've already believed the gospel. It's hid from those that are lost. And so, so we need to, to have this, this, this passion about getting the gospel out. Praise the Lord every time someone has an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody. And, and we got to rejoice in that and encourage that and, and those things. But uh, for your fellowship of the gospel from first day till now. And, uh, and I love this verse. Being confident of this very thing. That he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. What a great verse. What's the work that Christ began in us? He started it with salvation. He is continuing it through sanctification. And let me remind you, sanctification is Christ working in us. Am I growing in grace? Am I growing in Christ's likeness? If not, something is, something is wrong. Christ uh, is working in us, and, and what he started, he is going to finish. He will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And what an awesome thought. He doesn't just you know, give up on us. We may give up on each other. We may just throw up our hands, I'm done with you. God never does that. He never says, I'm finished with you. He never says, I'm, uh, I, I'm done picking up the pieces and I'm done fixing your mistakes. He doesn't say that. What a gracious and long-suffering God we have. And, and uh, uh, I think I'll stop there. Let's see here. Yeah, I think I'll stop there. But what's some things to consider about uh, the joy that we ought to have for one another? Uh, and by the way, I can't wait for us to fellowship together and come together again. But that joy for one another, and and uh, uh, and then uh, uh, the, this uh, the fellowship of the gospel, and being confident of uh, Him doing a work in us. He mentioned the grace and the peace and some of these things, and and we ought to look at ourselves. We ought to look inward. And then we ought to look how we relate to one another. And that's, that's going to be a lot of the theme throughout the book of Philippians. And, 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 and what is God doing in me? And then how do I relay that and, and relate to one another? You're going to see a lot of fellowship, a lot of uh, uh, working together. In fact, uh, the chapter 1 kind of closes out with that thought. And we'll, we'll get there in a couple of days. But 
But uh, but I just want to challenge us with that as a church, as believers. Maybe you're logging on, you're not part of our church uh, directly, but uh, but consider that where you're at with other believers and the, and the church you're a part of, um, to 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 remember each other with joy, praying for one another, and 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 bringing these things to light, and 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 having this great confidence that God's doing a work, and that He's going to perform it until the day of Christ. And uh, so I, I hope that's a that's a good challenge and encouragement to us today. Hey, we got to keep our eyes on Him. We got to keep walking with Christ and uh, and watch as He performs these things. You know, you you know who pe- who the people are that have a lot of testimonies of what God has done, and the people who are just excited about God's moving in their lives. They're the ones who are recognizing the fact that He is. You see, He's always at work. He's always doing something. And I want to be one of those with the eyes of faith that's recognizing the fingerprints of God in my life. Not just those big things that He has done, but uh, but the day-to-day. Look at what God did here, and look at how God has invested in me. Look at how God is working in my life, because He has a goal for me, an end in mind, that I become like the Lord Jesus Christ. 